0: Discerning Hearts, in cooperation with the Family Life Office of the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Spousal Prayer, A Way of Marital Happiness. This is talk one of a two-part presentation on spousal prayer based on the book by Deacon James Keating, Ph.D., given by Father Paul Hazing, who serves as the vocation director for the Archdiocese of Omaha, as well as the president of the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors. We now join Father Paul Hazing.
1: The whole goal of the evening, that you would have time to pray, and my role entirely is to sort of till the soil. You see the silence, you see the openness, you see the waiting, there's the tilling. We had Mass together, and I'm always grateful for the Mass and the The moments of Mass that afford us some silence. And there's something so beautiful and palpable and necessary about the silent moments of Mass. Because silence can amplify things we need to pay attention to. We're often afraid of silence. remember one occasion I was invited to offer Mass, and I paused before the homily, as I typically do, because it's, what's the rush? And somebody in the front row, an elderly woman, uh, she just sort of blurted out, and if you're here tonight, I'm sorry, but I won't tell you where it happened, just in case, but she just kind of whispered under her breath, loudly enough for everyone to hear, say something. Couldn't stand it. Had to feel it. Say something. Also, offer a few images that you might take with you to prompt you as we go along here. The whole world saved in the intimacy of that moment. The whole world saved in the intimacy of that bedroom, that chamber of the virgin, betrothed to a man named Joseph. The whole world saved in that betrothal to Joseph, for he himself in a dream received the Word of God in the silence of his own sleep. How much salvation happens in silence. And I urge that because we need to trust what comes up. Oh, Father, when I get silent, I just get distracted. Well, maybe that's some of the stuff to pay attention to. Don't be afraid of that. Because prayer is happening within us. So often, and we had this parlance in our own family. I grew up near Menominee. I know you wanted to do it. Menominee. 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 Yep. (laughs) Only a few folks know that puppets, those muppets. (laughs) It's a great place because they have now on the sign uh, that says Menominee 2, right below it, they have a blue sign. The state just put it up. I'm so happy about it. It says no services. (laughs) Just to assure people you can't get anything there. (laughs) The bar burned down when I was 12, there's no gas station. Simply a church and a cemetery. And so there in Menominee, there are no services. We only have Mass. <laughs> Protestants have their services, we have the liturgy. So just let people know there's only Catholics in Menominee. And so to be noticing what comes up in the silence because prayer is happening and filling us, moving us. The parlance in Menominee was, we're going to pray really hard. Dad, how does that work? I'm going to concentrate. I'm going to focus. With all that effort of a sort of a a speedboat mentality, we're just kind of gliding along, but underneath we're, we're really working hard. We would be more like sailboats, inspired by the Holy Spirit, moving us, a divinely intelligent wind, always moving us in life. People say, well, receptivity, that's just kind of boring. If prayer is all about receptivity, that's, that's not really exciting. Really? <laughs> Staying receptive is the most bracing activity in human life, receptive to love. It is awesome, it is fun, it is fantastic to stay receptive to who God is in our lives and His presence in our lives is the most invigorating and fruitful, dynamic way of living. Being very pragmatic Americans, we can say, well, I I can get a lot done on my own. My own efforts. If we live long enough or if we've suffered some, we know that doesn't work. Let me show you a still more excellent way, says St. Paul. The way of receiving love. Spouses are meant to reveal that. Here's Joachim and Anne embracing in a painting by Jodo. They just found out they're with child. For many years, they were childless. The beauty of that embrace. Revealing the receptivity to grace in their lives. Rembrandt. What's going on with the hands in Rembrandt? He's all about hands. The man and the woman embracing the receptivity that they share together so often a woman can be the guardian of the invisible and the man protector with her she's an apostle of being bringing new life into the world through her very body and joseph sharing with mary the goodness of god's never-ending desire to pour His life into us. To be with us. Emmanuel. And for once, humanity looked down at God. And this means that the incarnate details of our lives will be worth paying attention to. Because God became man, nothing will be casual or small. That's the motto of the Sisters for Life. If you grab one of their medallions and flip it over, they wear a medallion, these habited nuns. And on the back it says, Nothing again will be casual or small. It's from a poem about the Annunciation. Because God became man, because He enfleshed Himself, incarnate, our incarnate lives, the hairy, smelly details of life, reveal God. We do not live in abstractions, concepts, ideas. God is as concrete as the person lying in bed next to you. And that person's a great mystery. And intimacy will be that place where you allow the mystery to be revealed. Intimacy is the commitment to let someone reveal their thoughts, feelings, and desires honestly. And be open to that. Deacon Keating gives three basic steps. And I'll just highlight these. And then lead you into the prayer. He calls it beholding and listening and forgiving. feeling a little tired because I was called at 5.30 in the morning. I was expecting to have a little more time in bed. But a priest brother called me to let me know that one of his prisoners was dying. So I went to the hospital. And he had just passed. At 5.30 I arrived about 5.50, so I just missed But there was his wife of some 44 years, right there. And I knew that scene. I I had watched my mother pass and my father was with her all throughout. And I just want to share with you what this meaning of the word beholding is about. Because it was a word my father used with me. I was talking to him one night. It was about eight months after mom had passed and he had spent most of that fall harvesting lots of apples. He had cash rented the farm so he could spend more time with mom. They didn't talk about her dying. She had cancer. And so, instead of talking about dying, they they really got busy living together and taught him everything. How to make choke cherry jelly. The art of a good apple pie. How to make applesauce and apple butter. And mom would say to me, he is better than than I am. (laughs) He's a little meticulous. Being a teacher by profession and a a Marine Corps veteran of Vietnam. He can be a little meticulous. All right, Dad, all right. A little over the top. (laughs) So there he is, 9.30 at night. I reached him, and he was still in the wash house, which is where we do all the canning. I said, Dad, what are you doing this time of night? He said, well, I'm just finishing up this last bushel of apples. You're not going to get done until like 10.30. Oh, that's all right. So I asked him a few more questions. What's going on? And he said, for the first time in my life, I'm not beholden to anyone. Immediately thought in my mind, was he speaking in 17th century English language? Beholden. Who says beholden anymore? (laughs) But he went on. He used it again. He said, when I was growing up in this house, right near the wash house where he grew up, I was beholden to my parents. When I went to Vietnam, I was beholden to my officers. And when I came home and married your mother for the last 43 years, I was beholden to her. Now I am beholden to no one. He paused. And just leaned into the silence with him. And let him say it. This doesn't feel like freedom. This is not Freedom. To be beholden to my wife was freedom. To be beheld and expected and looked for, that's where the freedom was for him. When you are beheld by your spouse, and when you behold your spouse, do you experience freedom? If there is love there, that's where the freedom will be. That's the invitation. To behold someone in love. And notice where there's gratitude. In freedom. And then to be moved into listening. For when we see in love, we can hear much better. And to listen to someone speak honestly about their thoughts, feelings, and desires without interference. This wife this morning who just had lost her husband, was sort of beside herself and stood there next to her husband and said, Family, I just want you to gather around. And she said her husband's name. He's right there and said, You loved to hear me pray, and so I'm going to pray. And so she prayed a beautiful prayer for the whole family, for all to hear and for her husband to hear, as she had done again and again throughout their lives. You love to listen to me pray, and so I'm going to pray. The listening in that place of openness which Deacon Keating describes as a wound, which isn't about pain, the wound is about letting someone in, letting them into your life. And so there is a suffering, but it's not a suffering that focuses us on the pain. To give an example, I watched this with my father and mother. I had them exchange vows on their wedding anniversary, their 40th anniversary. It's a real privilege to do that. All right, so there's mom and dad, they're exchanging their vows. And I start with my father and ask him to repeat the vows. I, Dwayne, take you to be, take you, Judy, to be my wife. And he just couldn't quite keep his composure kept breaking down, tearfully. Because at this point, he was really laboring, wanting to serve her. To do for her. And she simply looked at him. That's all she did. She beheld him. And the look was so serene. She was not feeling well, but she was serene. And in that serenity, receiving him. And you could just see this opening of my father's affection. He's been trying so hard to serve his wife. And right there, his wife was being let in. And all of us too. All of us kids. Because we could see how available he was to her serene gaze. And she was being taken there, taken into him. And all of what plagues so many men, even my dad, he said it before, I don't think my Marine Corps training served me very well in marriage, because there can be forcefulness. The great illusion of men is self-reliance. And what marriage will reveal again and again is a man's failure. He can't rely on his own resources all the time. He has to let someone in again and again. This is a suffering because there's ego there. I should be able to handle this. I should be able to take care of this. I should be able, I should, I should. Highlight that word, should. It's a huge baseball bat. It's a way of beating ourselves up. Should. Should. Did Joseph say, I should take her into my home? No. He received from the angel, do not be afraid to take her into all of your things. That's what it is to take someone into your home. Take that person into all of your things, all of your stuff. I heard this gospel when I was on pilgrimage with a group of students, 30 students, and I woke up in the middle of the night having a dream about one of the students knocking on a bathroom door and I yelled out loud, waking up from the nightmare, Get out of the bathroom! (laughs) Yes, spiritual fatherhood right there. Yeah. The next day I hear this gospel, don't be afraid to let them into all your stuff, you know? This wound, this receptivity, this place where the ego says I can't, and you are with me in my poverty. That's a deep place of listening. And because it's wounded, we'll be clumsy And so that's the final step, the forgiveness. We'll be clumsy about our woundedness, and so we'll need to be forgiven again and again. And we'll need to forgive the other again and again because wounds make us clumsy, we stumble about. Again, this happened at the bedside with mom. My dad came in. He had been staying at the hospital for a long period of time. He finally went home for a shower. Dad, go home, take a shower. There's three boys in the family. I'm the oldest. I have a brother, Matthew, who's been married now 12, 13 years. I married, he's my first wedding. Still going strong. <laughs> Four children. Another brother, Jonathan, who's getting married. He's 27. So there we are. Dad comes back from showering. He says, boys, I've been thinking. And Mom was, we thought, sleeping right there. And he just kind of said out loud, you know, I just really want you guys to know, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. i was like, Dad, what's that about? Well, you should know that every time there was something important in your life, your mom was always there. And he went around the room. He said, Paul, you remember that baseball game where you had... Your mom was there. Matt, remember that college visit? Mom was sick. Your mom was there. I wasn't. I was out doing something else. And he went to the John and he said, remember this other event? Your mom was there. Your mom was always there. And we kind of looked around befuddled. And I finally spoke up and said, Dad, you remember that time that we had this event? Mom wasn't there, but you were. And then Matt had that other game that was really good, but Mom wasn't there, but you were. And there was that other occasion for the golf meet with John, and Mom wasn't there, but you were. I said, Dad, this is the point. Everywhere that one of you was, we knew the other was. They had reconciled every event. We kind of knew that as kids. Wherever one was, the other was, because there was constantly reconciliation, not alienation. Kids know when there's alienation. And so, Dad, we knew wherever you were, Mom was. Wherever Mom was, you were, because they had practiced forgiveness in their life. Oh, you can't be there. I'll be there. I forgive you. That's the security we grew up with. I'd find out later, Dad said, Mom woke up at three in the morning and said, Dwayne, don't feel guilty about any of that. Listen to your boys. We thought she was sleeping. My hope is tonight as you pray, wherever you thought your, your spouse might have been sleeping, They were very much awake. And wherever you might be sleeping, you might be awakened. Awakened to the gift of the presence of Jesus wanting to give you living water where things have become dry. Living water where beholding has become a little bit burdensome. Living water where listening might have been tiresome. Can you hear the pleading of Jesus in your own vows, your own married life? If you but knew the gift, if you but knew the gift, I have for you. So here's the prayer. We're going to invite you to just kind of face each other at a certain point. We don't move just yet. I'll give you the instructions first. You might move your chair away from the table a little bit. And just to give yourself a moment of silence and maybe just to hold each other's hands and look into each other's eyes. And in that moment of silence, to make this prayer to Jesus, it's a threefold prayer. You personally make this prayer in silence in your heart. Alright? As you're beholding, this is the prayer in silence with Jesus. 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 What moves me with gratitude for my spouse? And just listen there. Just listen. Jesus, what's the most significant thing happening in my life that I want to share with my spouse? And finally, Jesus, where is there a sorrow? A sorrow that isn't a focus on the pain, but a sorrow that says, I've missed you. The gratitude is informing the sorrow. The desire to share the life is informing the sorrow. You see, that's because it's the sorrow of contrition. I've missed love here. (laughs) Jesus, where is there a sorrow that I want to ask forgiveness for? So there's the threefold prayer Jesus, what moves me with gratitude? Jesus, what's the most significant thing I want to share right now with my spouse? Jesus. Where is there a sorrow that I want to ask forgiveness for? Listen there for at least three to five minutes. Okay? And then who's ever ready to speak? Here's the ground rules. Whoever is ready to speak first, go ahead. Okay? Okay? I'd suggest the guys go first. Just a suggestion, just a prayerful suggestion, alright? Just going to lay down the gauntlet here. All right? Because the guys go first in the exchange of vows. Alright? Did you remember that? The guy went first. And so, here's the ground rule. As the spouse is sharing what they're most grateful for, what's the most significant thing happening in their life, and what... Do I want to ask forgiveness for? As the spouse is sharing that, the other is silent. Okay? No commentary. There might be facial reaction, fine. (laughs) All kinds of body language, fine. Whatever, we can't help that. But at least there would be silence. Total permission to reveal. That's intimacy. The commitment to let the other reveal and receive them where they are. Where they are. When the spouse is finished sharing what they're most grateful for, what's the most significant thing happening, and what they want to ask forgiveness for, once they're finished sharing, to let the other spouse know, that's, that's what I've received in my prayer, in my quiet prayer. Here's what the other spouse gets to do. Just like that wife did at the bedside today. My husband loves to hear me pray. So the other spouse who's been listening now is going to notice what they want to ask of God and to pray aloud for their spouse. To pray aloud from what they just heard. And the other one has to be silent. Okay. Those are the two ground rules. Once one is speaking, the other silent. Okay? And you're going to hear your spouse pray for you. Impromptu. Just in that moment. All right? Let's see what that's like. This is two birds with one stone. You'll find out what's happening in the other person's life and you'll be praying together. Wow! <laughs> that is efficiency. All right. <laughs> that's the exercise of prayer this evening I'd like to leave you into. And we'll conclude together with an exchange of vows. Which I know by heart. <laughs> I have my couples know them by heart. You know them by heart as well, but we're going to enunciate them. We're going to enunciate them together. All right. So that's the proposal for prayer. All right. Share and then pray. Is that clear? that pretty clear? It's pretty simple, all right? Ask Jesus, what moves me with gratitude for my spouse? What's the most significant thing happening in my life? And where is there a sorrow that I want to ask forgiveness? And then the other will pray for you after they've heard you. And then you'll switch.
0: You've been listening to Father Paul Hazing giving talk one of a two-part presentation on Spousal Prayer, A Way to Marital Happiness, based on the book of the same name by Deacon James Keating. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to priestlyformation.org, the website for its publisher, The Institute for Priestly Formation, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To learn more about the mission and the resources available from the Family Life Office of the Archdiocese of Omaha, visit www.archomaha.org. This has been a presentation of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Family Life Office of the Archdiocese of Omaha. To hear more from Deacon James Keating and Father Paul Hazing, visit discerninghearts.com.